0: now for our feature presentation.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Botching It Up podcast. Every bruise, bump and
0: botch. Wrestling, you've been put on notice. Let's get ready to ramble. Oh my God, sound a bit fucking happier to be here. (laughs) You've
1: feel- <laughs> got two and a
0: half hours of talking about Viscera.
1: <laughs> a lot of Midian. There's going to be a lot of Midian talk. Oh,
0: Midian's great. Okay. Did you see any naked Midian?
1: No, I, I just I got to the Vince part and that was it. I was done. I was out. I checked out uh, Midian's fanny pack. What's up? This is the Pochinot Podcast number 20. And this week we're talking about the Ministry of Darkness uh during our horror season we had to do the undertaker at some point and this is where we've landed as always you're with me Benito, and my good friend basil where to stephanie and um we're gonna cover the whole storyline of the Ministry of darkness in two parts one part this week one part next week i don't know what we thought this was gonna be
0: well you know what ben i'm not sure whether to say thank you or fuck you for this Because this has been months and months and months and months and months of watching Viscera pretend to beat somebody up in an alleyway. With some amazing bits and some terrible bits all thrown in in between. I'm glad I have watched it. And I'm also in some ways really not glad that I've had this albatross hanging around my neck the last three weeks but what i can tell you is probably wouldn't be a labor of love but i definitely feel like i could currently write a monthly ministry of darkness fanzine
1: yeah i mean this whole thing goes on for like a year we've watched almost everything taker related uh, between 98 september 98 and 99 what june
0: you started off with so much enthusiasm for this project that you actually watched from judgment day 1998 i was a little bit more savvy than that i started straight on the dot january the 11th 1999 so in a way i do feel sorry for you
1: well that's it i'm going to give you a little prologue a little idea of what's going on with takers life uh, as we start this storyline i'm actually
0: wondering what uh, google thinks of my search history recently because i looked up many many articles about embalming um the process of it and one of the recommended questions was how do i embalm someone so i'm not sure whether i don't think that's serial killers but i do think that's funeral assistance um, which is very promising isn't it in the care of your loved ones but yeah let's get into the ministry of darkness anyway
1: it's your first day on the job and you're like oh shit, i need to google how to do this
0: well, when I just accidentally oh, started running a pub, I—I I, or when I started running a pub, and got left alone in the early days. I googled how to change a barrel, so I assume it's kind of the same for the funeral who, industry.
1: Who's being left alone to embalm someone?
0: I kind of feel like the funeral industry and the hospitality industry is similar. Okay. They just throw you in and see whether you can float or oh, make somebody God. else stop floating. Throw I don't you, know. Throw That's you funny. in at
1: the dead bodies. Okay.
0: <laughs> at the dead dead end yeah all right right.
1: so ministry of darkness unofficially starts uh this is where i've decided to start anyway september 1998 in your house breakdown this is the height of uh steve austin versus vince feud like this crazy shenanigans going on vince has recruited taker and kane to be his bodyguards so the main event of this pay-per-view is steve austin versus undertaker and kane if Austin refuses to fight both of them at the same time. He strips the title, and Kane and Undertaker can't pin each other, so it's basically a handicap match. What week is this? So this is Sunday, the 27th of September, 98.
0: So the whole... First of all, let me just stop you here. The ministry is, like, never-ending. So I thought the ministry at least started at Judgment Day, 98? 98? If I don't know whether it when it finished or if it even fucking did, maybe Midian's still running around with an eyeball, I have no idea this thing just seems to go on forever, so you're telling me it was in the the hot summer of ninety eight that this this thing came together
1: well, unofficially, I mean it's still the older undertaker, but this is just how we roll into it. Okay, All right. so in this main event, Taker and Kane are beating the shit out of Austin, and then they turn on each other. Basically, ends up they both lay out Stone Cold, and Kane and Undertaker both pin him to become joint champions. Next night on Raw, shenanigans happen with Stone Cold. He's pissed off. Vince yells at Taker and Kane that they didn't live up to their deal, protecting him from Stone Cold. Kane and Undertaker decide to go batshit crazy on Vince, and that's why Vince goes into hospital. You know the famous thing where Austin attacks him at hospital?
0: Beats him with a piss pan, yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Taker and Kane put him there.
0: This was coming off like their WrestleMania uh, 14 feud, I think, right? Where they finally face each other for the first time. They had a, a bad Inferno match and... All that sort of stuff.
1: Yeah, so briefly they've come back together and then almost as quickly they've separated and started feuding again. Cool. Vince sets it up for the vacant championship. Judgment Day 98, Kane versus Undertaker. Stone Cold is the special referee. Stone Cold has to raise the hand of one of the winners. If he doesn't, he's fired. Again, shit ton of shenanigans. Basically what happens is towards the end of the match, Stone Cold stunners everyone, pins both of them at the same time and just declares himself as the unofficial champion. Vince runs in, mad crazy, grabs the belt and flips off Steve Austin, so there's still no champion. But what is important is in this match, Paul Bearer makes his return. They play it off that he's about to come and help Kane win the match, but instead he hits Kane with a steel chair and sides with The Undertaker. Next night on Raw, we have this sick promo, and this is really where the Ministry of Darkness starts. Undertaker is in the ring and he's saying he doesn't care about the championship or Stone Cold. He wants to get revenge on Kane and he's brought back Paul Bearer to help him lead his ministry of darkness in destroying Kane. And Paul Bearer says, and this is when climax of their feud, if you like, Paul Bearer admits that Undertaker is the one that set their house on fire that burnt Kane when he was a kid. So it was Undertaker all along. The
0: WrestleMania 15 video package told me all of this. So I feel like I saved quite a lot of time <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what you did. They they got all of the right snippets. It, the, nothing has changed from 1999 to 2020. The video packages are still far superior to what you're actually looking at. And I feel like that would go on forever in WWE land.
1: Yeah, I mean, they've always been great at that.
0: So this is the first time, though, that The Undertaker has come across as a heinous human being burning down somebody's house and and scarring them physically and mentally for life so this is this is a taste of what we have to come
1: and if you like kane has now just turned babyface, which is kind of important for when we like get deep into this story in 99
0: really weird to think about now because kane was my favorite when i was a child and this probably explains why he was a good guy. He was teaming with X Pac six months later.
1: Yeah, yeah, he becomes a team of X Pac, and he's—you want to root for him every week because Vince and Shane bully him, and it's crazy that he's meant to be this big monster with, that can shoot fireballs, and he's—he's been beaten up by like people half his size. Anyway, so that that night on the Raw, they have a casket match. Basically, that ends in nothing. They just spill out into the back area, brawling. And it sets up a tournament at the Survivor Series for the championship. Kane and Undertaker are neither important in that championship. So after Survivor Series, the next night on Raw, Rock and Austin are fighting for the championship because The Rock won it at the pay-per-view. In that match, Taker comes down with a shovel and smashes it on Austin's head, causing a DQ. The next, the following week on Raw, and this is when it gets back shit crazy, they show a recap of a house show where Austin collapses. He suffered a concussion from that shot with a shovel that Taker gave him the week before. So Austin isn't at the show. He's at hospital and we keep seeing him in vignettes all through Raw. And then Undertaker comes in with Paul Bearer and kidnaps him from hospital. They put him into a hearse and they decide they're going to bury Austin alive. I don't sure why undertaker like hates him this much at this point that you'd want to bury him
0: that's pretty standard taker shit isn't it (laughs) like he tried to bury um mankind i think the year before and then he's burying austin in this segment and then the ether comes out from Paul bearer's pocket and it's all very normal taker stuff i didn't even bat an eyelid at it fair enough you know but then it gets weird
1: yeah, so Paul Bearer decides burying him alive isn't bad enough. we got to do something. I agree. <laughs> we got to do something else. So Taker decides to throw him back into the house, and they go to a fu- uh, funeral home. And then they decide they're going to embalm him while he's still alive.
0: Also, did you notice that the, f- the so-called funeral home looks a hell of a lot like what we later see in months to come as the back of so-called Vince McMahon's house?
1: I didn't notice that, no.
0: <laughs> it's like the same road that they use currently, where it was the uh, Wyatt-Swamp Fight and also the Undertaker's AJ Styles match. They get a location, they say, that looks great, put a gurney there, and that, just, like, that's it. It's just the same set. <laughs> love it. Well, no, it's from the back instead of the front. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs>
1: okay. Uh, so Undertaker starts doing a monologue in tongues. This becomes quite normal later on. Uh, Paul Bear is getting his plastic apron and gloves on and ready. They've got a knife to Austin's chest, and they're gonna they're gonna s- cut him open down the chest. Again, this is foreshadowing for later on. And then, out of nowhere, Kane runs in and takes the day. <laughs> uh, Kane starts brawling, and then Austin fights his way off the table, and he survived. They didn't murder him on national TV. Can
0: you imagine uh, uh, Kane being in the taxi?
1: What with Austin on the way home.
0: Well, no, on the way to, like, <laughs> I don't know where I'm going. I can't talk. Uh, you need to take me to this funeral home. There's a picture of it on TV right now. I'm going to save somebody in being embalmed alive by my brother
1: it's crazy you don't even think about that but if this was real life yeah you'd have to get this is
0: this is something that i couldn't quite get over and i I should know better because i'm a wrestling fan there were many instances in this entire storyline from this very start towards to the end where you just think what what the fuck is the cameraman doing (laughs)
1: oh yeah the cameraman is completely complicit in this murder that's about to take place
0: the embalming, the abduction I feel like they, I think they even zoomed in in the hanging you know
1: (laughs) 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 so next week on Raw we have this elaborate plan to send Kane back to the asylum. Austin is gonna save the day. They throw Kane into a freezer. Basically, they got a body bag. Then they'll put Kane into. Austin comes out to make the save, just in this really dark room out the back, and um, Austin Austin throws Paul Bearer into the hallway or something, and they trick him. So Paul Bearer thinks he's sending Kane to the asylum in this body bag, but actually it's Undertaker, and then. We pull back from a monitor and Austin and Kane are laughing backstage that so they've just sent Taker to the asylum.
0: Or as uh, Jerry Lawler calls it throughout this whole thing, the funny farm.
1: Yeah, I'm being very careful not to use the language they use in the 90s. Well,
0: I'm just directly quoting them. Uh, the amount they of times it, I heard the funny farm in six to eight They months. call it the
1: loony bin. They call it something else as well. Very derogatory terms, which I guess in the 90s were just fine to say.
0: King literally at one point went from a sentence about uh, throwing them in the funny farm to shouting puppies and advertising an evening gown match. And I knew I was in like peak 1999
1: yeah, it's here. Era, man. Anyway, so the next week on Raw, nothing is said about Undertaker going to an asylum. Nothing has
0: followed up quite a lot throughout these coming months shit just happens and then it's done sometimes within an advert break
1: yeah. it's, it's like they had less of a memory than what we've got now <laughs> um which is a shame because they could have done a lot of fun things i think with take a escaping from an asylum out of a straitjacket i
0: have to give them credit in general there are a lot of things that don't quite add up or just go missing or uh and never spoken of again but then if we if we look at this this product as a whole there's so much stuff going on. There's so many like different angles, different storylines, different guys. That sometimes they they hit it, at, they knock it out of the park, and you're just like, how did you, how are you, uh, manipulating these stories and interlacing them with each other, and and doing it as as well as you're currently doing. I mean, like I hate to give Vince Russo credit because you know who came up with the Ministry of Darkness storyline sometimes this stuff is actually really subtle or really well worked uh, with common sense and thought into it. So I, I forgave quite a, a few times where, for example somebody has a fight the lights go back and then the next thing is val in a towel you know
1: Mm. what i really enjoyed is the amount of times characters are interwoven into the story they're there one week and then they're doing something a different week and it feels like there's a very real dynamic workplace
0: that is one of the crucial things that i learned from going back and looking at this era if it was handled badly then it would have been an absolute mess. And you would have no idea who was good, who was bad, who was facing each other. And you know what? Sometimes it is. If you do focus in on certain characters, for example, big, big glaring example here, big boss man through his story, personal storyline, the duration of his storyline. It's awful. It's, they treat him really badly and his character makes absolutely no sense. For the majority of the time, The way that they interlace uh, Big Show, Mankind, The Rock, Austin, and throw all of these guys interlinking with each other, it makes everything feel like the main event. And as you said, it makes everything feel natural, which is so, so different from what we're used to now. It doesn't feel like it's been blocked out uh, pre-show and everybody's given a script. Which is the best thing that you could possibly do if you're creating a weekly live television show that never takes a break.
1: Yeah, there's a couple of times where one guy is just having an interview about a story he's in and another guy kind of walks in um, on the interview and they just have a fight. Nothing to do with the storyline. And you mentioned Mankind. Mankind, I think, involvement in this storyline is fantastic because his character is always kept... um, 100% what it's supposed to be he's always in the basement and a brawl or the kidnappings end up in the basement and he just has to be involved in the story that week and then next week he's off doing something else it just feels real and dynamic
0: i mean exactly but if you look like if you looked at today's current product and i don't don't know take a random guy uh, randy Orton. if you asked mvp who randy orton was in an interview he'd probably say i have no recollection of this name yeah because they they just they're kept everybody is kept so clinically separate that it's like they know you can't believe that they're real people let alone believe they actually spend any time in a in a ring together it almost feels sometimes like They're all in different buildings filmed at different times because it just doesn't feel like MVP knows who Randy Orton is at the moment until suddenly he bumps into him in the ring in a segment and then they have a feud. This Attitude Era and specifically this sort of larger scale angle was the polar opposite of that.
1: Well, it's like a video game, isn't it? It's like Tekken or Street Fighter. It's just plopped matches that just have nothing relating to do with each other.
0: This was like WWE GTA.
1: Yeah. Um, do you remember, I think it was an era you weren't watching back in like 2016 when they had like the new era thing?
0: Not really. I This is this is actually a, a, an era I've just started looking into the last so couple of weeks.
1: What, I, what they did then, um, and they didn't do it too often, which is good, because if they did it a lot, I don't think it would have worked. But a lot of the time, someone would make their entrance to do a promo or a match too soon after the last match finished. So what would happen is that the winner, or the loser, would end up crossing paths on the ramp or stage with the next person walking out. And that led to a lot of guys that weren't in feuds kind of sharing a moment with that being two faces, bumping fists, or high-fiving, or a, a face in a heel kind of having an awkward stare down that would leave, lead to a match in two weeks' time.
0: That's pretty cool. And, and But there's only one instance I can think of in the last year in which I've seen that. And do you know who was involved? Who? Randy Orton and Nia Jax. When was that? Uh, there's a, a couple of months ago on Raw, but Randy Orton came down the ramp straight after a Nia Jax match. And for some bizarre reason... They purposely made Nia Jax walk up the ramp while Randy Orton was coming out.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that's what they were doing a couple of years back.
0: But the, the one instance in which they've done it that I can remember since I started watching Weekly again is with a man and a woman th- who have no interest in each other I th- and just sort of stared at each other for a couple of seconds.
1: I think that's because, like, since last summer, they're tiptoeing around that idea of intergender matches again. It feels like they're too scared to actually run with it, but they kind of they're playing with fire.
0: Do you think they genuinely want to introduce a, a male female match down the line? Well,
1: they had Nia Jax in the Rumble, didn't they? Even when there was a women's Rumble, she was still involved in the men's Rumble.
0: That's true. That was quite a few years ago now, though. Like I just, oh, I just thought the placing was so strange. It just out of all of the guys, you could have picked with as well to. Uh, stare down a woman, Randy Orton. I, I just, I can't see why you would ever put those two together, even for a couple of seconds.
1: Oh, it would have been much more interesting if it's someone then that could have gone on to have a match of Randy Orton next week. Yeah,
0: but yeah. you know, whatever. But
1: right, yeah. so back to December seventh, nineteen ninety-eight on Raw. Uh, already Steve- to escape. <laughs> Steve we even, this is just the prologue. We're not even on the main thing yet. Steve- <laughs> doing a promo about getting the championship back taker lowers his undertaker style crucifix uh onto the stage this is the first time we see it and it's actually quite a big menacing symbol looks pretty cool he does not monologue again going into tongues and the lights go crazy and the crucifix bursts on fire this happens a few times and the crowd goes crazy every time it's a really good visual anyway later in the night the main event is Rock and Taker versus Austin and Mankind. Uh, Big Boss Man and Ken Shamrock are now the new goons for Vince. They come running in to ruin the match, whatever. Taker and Austin brew up the ramp and along ringside. And then some druids run out. They're all beating down Austin. They get Austin onto the crucifix. And then the crucifix is raised up into the air with Stone Cold on it, which is a very impressive visual.
0: Very, very cool. Uh, the Taker music playing at the same time as the Druids hymning. Um, Austin hanging above. Sp- uh, Taker speaking on on over the top of all of this stuff happening while he's like his eyes are up in his head and he's got his hands up. It was a really amazing image and I can see why that's been preserved as a moment in history that they still talk about to this day.
1: I mean, I got goosebumps when it happened watching it. I was like, that's That's cool. That's badass. And Austin was, Austin was safe because he's, he's Austin. He was just, his face was so angry and and you couldn't hear him, but you could hear, you could see that he was saying all the curse words he knew.
0: It'd be interesting to actually fully get into the ministry with you in a minute, because I feel like there was a few key missteps. Maybe they weren't even missteps. It was just, there's so much stuff going on that, if it if had it been handled differently or been handled with more importance, we could have seen so many more of these moments.
1: Yeah. See, I feel at this point in history, there was no plan for the ministry to be this huge stable. I feel like it was just Taker has gone down this devil route and he's speaking in tongues and someone backstage would be like, it'd be really cool if we do a crucifixion and to put it over to be this massive thing. We've got to put Steve Austin on it.
0: Also just like a little bit edgier with the embalming stuff. Uh, taker's the perfect character to really throw and push them into that attitude era where everything's close to the knuckle which is why i think a lot of the ministry stuff is so hard to watch now i feel like taker was the bastion for a lot of the attitude stuff where they were trying to get away with anything they possibly could because he's the the most viable character to represent elements of of violence danger and because he's a supernatural character so it almost becomes like an emo version of power rangers where they can get away (laughs) with it because he's not like a real dude you know he's a he's an entity
1: yeah and they they nailed it here but then a couple months down the line it all falls apart yeah. So this
0: no great visual. This
1: yeah. So this is the go home angle for in your house rock bottom stone cold versus undertaker in a buried alive match. Uh, if Austin loses, he won't be in the Royal Rumble. That's the stip.
0: At, at some point during this build up, I didn't catch it. I couldn't find it. At, at this point, the acolytes who later became APA are they uh, teaming with? The manager is the Jackal, or is that a later point?
1: So, yeah, again, I also didn't watch this. So they debuted as the Acolytes, and they had the Jackal on one raw, And then the next raw they were on, they dropped the manager.
0: So whenever that raw was, was the first mention of a higher power. The Acolytes were the first people that started talking about the higher power, and the higher power that they had, and um, the higher power that they were alluding to it's kind of referenced on commentary that the jackal might be this higher power. So it feels a lot like they were had a, a satanic undertaker. Um, they had the acolytes trying out a gimmick, which is it makes sense as to why the acolytes were just kind of ministry heavy. That was never really played into it's because they already had that character going before Taker took him under his wing. Yeah, yeah. I feel like they transplanted that, Acolyte gimmick, which they could quite clearly see not working on a on a mid-card basis on to Taker now when he had a couple of months of.
1: again, just much like current WWE, there was definitely no plans and they were just throwing shit at a wall, see what's up. But
0: the difference between modern day WWE and this WWE in terms of having no plans is the way that they wrote themselves alternate storylines and moved around issues is so far superior than what they do But know. they
1: made it work definitely um well we don't need to go into the buried alive match all you need to know is that austin wins undertaker is buried alive um and then we don't see him for almost a month afterwards uh and when we do next see him is raw january 11th 1999 undertaker returns
0: This was my jump on point, and this is what I see as the proper formation of the Ministry of the Darkness.
1: Yeah, this is Um, the start of the storyline. Up until now, it's just been understanding that Taker is meant to be feuding with Kane, like officially, but actually he's more involved with Austin and Vince.
0: And this was also my first viewing of the Ministry of Darkness gimmick, so I was actually really impressed with this. You had Dennis Knight unconscious on a slab in some red satin. Undertaker had had a a throne built for him after his holiday in the grave. There's ominous music playing. Um, Taker mimes along to a promo while trying to avoid those little red dot things, which I'm pretty sure are illegal now. And he says, he says great shit. Like, uh, are you an agent of darkness or a mere kindling for my fire? And like the lighting and the vibe, it's just good tv man there's fires blazing by his throne hell has relocated to earth like this was a great promo Uh, if carly or not this is exactly what i love watching wrestling for and i i thought it was really well handled
1: so this the whole reason we're talking about this is our little mini horror season and i think from all of the horror-esque wrestling stuff we've seen this is the creepiest thing i've seen
0: yeah i mean with taker slits his wrist he pours the blood into a goblet and makes a uh, knight drink it before cutting his chest in the shape of takers logo which still stands up 20 years
1: later this was great special effects because when uh, first of all i had did not see the slitting of the wrist coming from a off, and when he did it like i don't like gore so much so i i jumped in my seat i got i got goosebumps and didn't I actually? I mean, it's great stuff, but I didn't enjoy it because I don't like the horror stuff.
0: That shows how well done it was, because this this episode is twenty years ago, and we've never really—I mean, you saw the eyeball match—we've really never really known wrestling uh, to have high production values. So I don't know who was working in the back here, but they they managed to get some pretty great-looking um, blood glitter. <laughs> To, to, to throw on that the
1: cutting of the chest was amazing so it looked just super real I do not know if because the, the lights were dimmed or or whatever but the the special effects were fantastic and as you mentioned the acolytes were um, holding what was his name before it was Dennis Knight down and then undertaker rechrised him as Midian
0: um little little tour of Dennis Knight the undertaker's bone Street crew in real life so undertaker had a little gang Backstage, which sort was sort of the anti clique, where all the hard men came from, and all of the group have uh, B BSK tatted on them. It's on Taker's stomach. I think it's somewhere on Midian's arm, and they they hung around heavy, like they he- drank heavily. There's a story about Undertaker. <laughs> um, do you know the band Cypress Hill? Yeah insane in the membrane yeah so Undertaker was going sober for a little while and he met Cypress Hill at a um airport and they said hey let's go drinking and Taker's like no I'm taking it easy and Cypress Hill said something along the lines of didn't realize you're a pussy (laughs) and Taker (laughs) looked at them and, and that was that and he just says like maybe 10 hours later They were all asleep in this hazy, smoke-filled room apart from Taker and um, X-Puck, who was like babbling. And (laughs) Taker just picked him up and picked x back up and put him on his shoulder and walked out of the room with like five dead Cypress Hill guys. But anyway, what I'm saying is that group was built for heavy drinking and they played uh, dominoes a lot. Which is the Bone Street Crew? That's what they, that happened, and it seems like a lot of Taker's mates, specifically Dennis Knight, were basically given a role in this ministry. So while Taker had something to do to give his his friends a little bit of a rub, which is where the Midian thing comes from.
1: Okay, that's pretty cool. I
0: also wanted to mention the name Midian. So I looked up the a lot of the definitions of these characters' names because they're ridiculous. And I initially, the only thing I could find on it uh, was that Midian was like a random fourth son of Abraham in the Bible. And I couldn't find anything past that. But it's my own fault for assuming that they'd even look that far. (laughs) Apparently, the, the, the name Midian came from the Clive Barker movie Nightbreed, which Dennis Knight had watched about two weeks before. And he said the name of where, of the town where all the monsters lives was called Midian. And he just thought that was a cool name. So that's what he called himself. Yeah,
1: just a cool name. Let's run with it.
0: <laughs> and he's now a professional chef.
1: Yeah, I knew that. I knew, I've seen that. Yeah,
0: that's my rundown on Midian.
1: Uh, at the end of this, after Midian gets uh, sacrificed, christened, whatever happens there, uh, some lightning hits the stage and then we get the song the undertaker song that we all know and love now that we all associate with him plays at the end of this segment. What
0: the, we- um, the,
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> I didn't notice that. Was that the first instance? So I think that's, that's cool. the
1: very first time that like the undertaker song we all love, uh, was ever played. So that's pretty cool.
0: I, I don't, I'm not even sure I should be mentioning this live on air to be honest, because it was pretty sad, but, uh, I've recently started a sort of cocaine rock playlist like Queens of the Stone Age and Jack White and uh, Black Keys to get me going in the morning. And <laughs> the Ministry of Darkness's like chugging electric guitar, yeah. um, Haker Talking in Tongues yeah. theme tune has ended yeah, that's, up on That's on, on that. your playlist, yeah? So by about 9.30 in the morning, I'm listening to that song every day. So one day, if I get henched, I might actually start working out the 1999 Ministry of Darkness theme.
1: <laughs> but you didn't like the you didn't like the corporate ministry uh, theme one, yeah? Where they just
0: I've got time for that. I I usually I sometimes listen to the corporate ministry theme after the ministry. Really? Theme.
1: Where they just they slapped the two on top of each other?
0: Yeah, but I love Vince's cackles. But what was absolutely unforgivable throughout this whole run is just the generic ministry job a theme that only fully goes away in like may where it just sounds like uh mechanical guitars it's the most mm. generic thing
1: a lot of the entrances were quite generic in this era
0: bruce Pritchard said that in mid to late 1993 after hearing bam bam bigelow's entrance theme Vince McMahon became obsessed with like over the top saxophone in all of the wrestlers' theme tunes. So it is quite clear by 1999, he's got an obsession with heavy beats and sleazy male breathing throughout the company. Because this this is happening in Taker's themes, um, the corporate themes, Ministry themes, Test, the Big Show. There's almost there's all of these. And then, like a. So I feel like Vince definitely has errors of his uh, personal music taste.
1: But heavy breathing's weird as well. I don't
0: really understand why they gave it to the the Big Show and Test, who were sort of. Well, (laughs) I was going to say the Big Show was a face, but apparently, even in 1999, nobody had any idea. Don't
1: start because we're going to get to that on the second part (laughs) fucking flip-flops on his first like month of the company (laughs) as you mean to go on show i guess
0: Uh, i wanted to talk to you briefly about bruce pritchard uh and his opinions on the ministry of darkness there was a brief interview with bruce pritchard i don't know why i keep mentioning bruce pritchard on these podcasts i guess because he was on the creative team in both Doink and Ministry and is sort of around for all of this stuff. And he said that he really, really hated the Ministry because it was completely below Undertaker. And I found out that Vince Russo pretty much wrote all of this. It's one of the many ways in which Pritchard uh, took the piss out of Vince Russo. I would say this is one of Vince Russo's better storylines. So Pritchard thought that this was below Taker. Let's remember for a second that Brother Love managed Undertaker from his inception into early 1991 before getting fired because nobody wanted to see Bruce Pritchard manage The Undertaker. What's your opinion on Pritchard's take on this? Because he said he he physically, verbally stated that he wanted nothing to do with this angle because at this point in creative, it was Russo, Cornette, and Pritchard. And um, Cornette didn't hate the thing. I can't really find much stuff on it but cornet didn't hate the ministry it was obviously russo loved it you can tell by watching this the skits what's your opinion on pritchard detesting this and thinking it was below the undertaker
1: i think the actual run fit perfectly with undertaker's gimmick and the like the more darker edge where like he was now the he was talking to the devil and then he was talking in tongues. It was actually some good stuff. And like with an edgier product of the late nineties that they wanted, it, it worked. But where this storyline goes completely belittles Undertaker's run for six months. He just becomes a chess piece in Austin versus Vince's story. And everything he had done to build this stable and built his character was undone.
0: I kind of agree with you. I, I feel aesthetically it looked cool. Um, I know this was the era of Dracula 2000 and the Matrix, and it was all that sort of vibe. But throughout, everybody looked cool, give or take Midian. Uh, Viscera looked. I've got over and over. I've briefly read through my notes, which I said, I told you is, was 34 pages. I think you had 58 pages of notes. I thought Viscera looked the fucking Don throughout this run. And obviously uh, Undertaker's WrestleMania 15 costume. I just thought visually they looked amazing. And there were so many tiny problems as well as the big ones that you're talking about, about it feeling a bit headless.
1: Well, yeah. Talking about Viscera, um, let's talk about how he actually got initiated with the group. We're still out.
0: Just before we start here, the... Oxford English Dictionary definition of viscera is the internal organs in the main cavities of the body.
1: Okay. Well, it's a cool word, but that's not a very cool meaning, a spooky meaning.
0: I'm pretty sure it's only used in descriptions of dismemberment. So, Uh, I feel like that's That's where
1: it came from. Anyway. So, we're at Royal Rumble 1999, and he is on a Sunday. I haven't actually mentioned that yet. So Heat is always on on the same day as the pay-per-views. And I swear on Heat, somebody says that Taker is in the Rumble, which he wasn't. That was very misleading. But actually in the Rumble, what happens is on the the go-home show, they promised that they were going to get their next sacrifice and send them to the pits of hell. And it's going to be very obvious, like their next target, you're going to see it coming. Right. So I'm like, oh, I'm like, okay, Rock, Austin, Mankind, Vince. (laughs) Like, okay, this is cool. They're going to crucify the Rock or Mankind. That's going to be great. Halfway through the Royal Rumble, uh, Undertaker, Midian, and the Acolytes come out and they just kidnap Viscera. Uh, Not Viscera, uh, Mabel. Mabel. Yeah. And I'm just like, of all the fucking people, Mabel, I didn't even realize he's fucking wrestling right now. Never mind.
0: Well, maybe so. Maybe the whole "you you're gonna see it coming" thing was like production notes, because this was Mabel's full time return, right? And he was uh, he was taken. This was this went back to my Bone Street crew thing. While while Mabel was not actually a member, I'm pretty sure he was quite tight with Taker, and Mabel seems to have been specifically brought in for this gimmick, because he he wrestled one date about six months before at a house show or something. And this was his full-time return at Royal Rumble to go into the ministry. Obviously, this gimmick was built to give Taker to do. And then they introduced other characters because Taker was going to get a hip replacement. They started it with Austin and ended it with Austin. And it was just sort of a really good time waster. But then they started adding to the ministry and they got more and more members in, only for them not to do anything with them. Do you think that they believed that these talents would be more over than they were? Do you think that they initially had plans for these talents to go into the sort of upper mid? Do you think that these guys didn't work because there was just too much going on anyway? I don't know if
1: they didn't work, really, because the Acolytes got a pretty good showing and then they became the APA, like, they got a pretty decent showing, and then Midian got a lot of screen time, and he's not even a very, he's not one of the best wrestlers. I feel like without The Undertaker's rub, he wouldn't. I've got anywhere close to the amount of matches and screen time that he did get.
0: I'm not saying that these guys should have gone to the main event. They quite clearly made a good paycheck and we were grateful to be hanging around Taker on screen. I just I just think that you you, you had The Godfather, Val Venus, Road Dog, um, all over TV every single week. You had Midian once a week on Heat and you had Viscera once a month. I, I just, it doesn't quite add up to me because you had the Undertaker, a main event present since nineteen ninety one, hanging around with people that he knew were jobbers and it doesn't quite wash with the uh, with the whole oh he indoctrinated the weak thing because then he beats certain members up when they fail him but then he doesn't care about Midian or Viscera losing on on heat. So it, it just it it I think it's the, the combination of a serious superpower main event talent with a couple of his mates that were kind of laughingstocks before that have completely been rebranded. And in in the, in the case of Viscera, even, rebranded really well. And then just sort of doing nothing with them at all. Yeah,
1: they were definitely put with Taker to bump up their stock. And Taker just needed bodies around him just to make it feel like there was this big, powerful unit. They probably could have put bigger and better names and better wrestlers with him. It
0: just seems like an odd match. I, I think I'm just pissed off because Viscera looked really cool and they never did
1: anything with him. And you're also getting your timeline a little bit mixed up. They, they they did lose quite a lot before the Christian thing happened. And then every time... Because that was towards the end of of the ministry, the downfall, which we'll get to later. And then he kind of started turning on all of his guys almost every week at that point.
0: Yeah, I did enjoy the little sacrifices and uh, beat ups and beat downs. Yeah,
1: so also this Royal Rumble, just to give a little context for stuff we're going to talk later on, this is the one where Vince won. Um, Vince and Austin are going at it. Um, At the same point, Kane came in and got the most eliminations, and then he gets chased off by orderlies, taking him back to the asylum. Both of those are important for later on in this story.
0: I think you can sum up about how just how stacked the roster was for WWE in 1999 by the fact that The Undertaker turned up in one segment to kidnap someone.
1: Yeah, he wasn't even in the Rumble. Even though they did lead you on to think that he was going to be in it. Yeah. Fucking stupid commentary. <laughs> <laughs> I watched the whole Rumble thinking he was going to turn up and then, and then I didn't have to watch the whole Rumble for he Undertaker. The next Raw, we have the start of DX versus the Ministry. So kind of what you were saying with the jobbers and the mid-cards starting to get their own feuds while Taker's still busy with Austin.
0: But they, d- d- I go back to my point before, my frustration of it is that they never did anything with them. They just had random feuds. It never linked back to the Ministry.
1: I all. think it was just to try and keep them strong and make them seem like a credible threat, definitely with the acolytes, because every match they had, or at least up until WrestleMania, um, just ended in a brawl. There was There was no wrestling, there was no finish, it always ended in them all jumping in and brawling with their opponents, just to make them feel like they were a gang that just would destroy everyone in their path
0: that got kind of boring it, it
1: got very boring very quick i every time i saw there was an acolytes uh, match on raw i was like okay here we go again it's going to be the same shit i imagine i'm pretty
0: sure this was the raw that i really laughed quite hard about because on january the 11th you had the big throne and the fire and or on the on the front of the stage with midian um apparently (laughs) apparently uh michael cole's just to go back for a second on january 11th michael cole's uh states shouts on commentary the undertaker is floating the undertaker is floating um and the undertaker was supposed to be pulled up by a wire from the throne but then they they ditched that idea but they didn't change michael cole's script
1: yeah brilliant
0: so he still shouted it anyway uh, but you go from that big cool looking throne stuff and they've placed the throne amongst some scaffolding and some boxes by a curtain and it looks very very cramped and the undertaker's uh, sitting in his throne in a in a very small thin hallway staring at the ministry who all have like enough elbow room to be in a box hitting, I think, Al Snow or something. And it, I was just like, the, this was two weeks removed from your big sacrifice angle. And The Undertaker is, is positioned his plastic throne uh, to, to have claustrophobia, seemingly.
1: It really felt like it started off with a bang. And then all the way up until uh, towards WrestleMania, it was just was kind of forgotten about. And then at WrestleMania again, So we'll get to in a minute. They remembered exactly what undertaker was doing and then he got a crazy did I miss guy.
0: viscera being called viscera or did he just turn up one day with black lipstick?
1: No, nah, no no yeah that's that's the point I was I was meant to make they they kidnapped him at the Royal Rumble and then that was it he was put in a hearse and then the next time we saw him he was just now viscera and just always stood And in the Michael back Cole and knew menacing. he was
0: viscera just like Michael Kno- Cole knows who retribution yeah. is.
1: Yeah, like nothing was said about what he, why he looks the way he does, or his, and you say that his, uh, like his eyes, his contact lenses were really cool. I'm pretty sure for two weeks he didn't have those that came on in the first of later.
0: first of February 1999. He actually wrestled in sunglasses.
1: <laughs> yeah, so 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 this is the Ministry of Darkness versus the Brood. Uh, Undertaker is sat on his throne on his on his cardboard boxes on the stage, and Midian and Mabel are sent down. So it's basically a handicap match: uh, Gangrel, Edge, and Christian versus uh, Midian and Mabel. Uh, five, like not even five minutes into it, just exactly what we were complaining about. Acolytes jump in, and it's just a fucked up brawl. The refs can't pull anyone apart. There's no wrestling here to be seen. Um, and the acolytes actually try and put a noose around Gangles' neck and they throw him over so this, the rope and hang. This him.
0: bit for me, you said it was the Midian sacrifice. This bit was the most gruesome uh piece of wrestling I've watched this year. And I'm like up there in general. Because they they would it wasn't quite the same as the hanging in the hell of the cell, which also already looked like, obviously looked like it had been pre-produced and brood came down like fairies. And, you know, it, like that was all very quite clearly a show. This was really horrible. Like the, they literally took Gangrel by the neck, like a, a gang beat down, put the noose round his neck tight and, And I don't know whether they were actually choking him to death or Gangrel's just a fucking amazing actor. But snot was coming out of Gangrel's nose. Like, there was veins turning up on his head. The guy, I felt like I was actually watching a real life hanging of a guy.
1: Well, the way they were doing it, I think, is very hard to fake because he was over the ropes. He was over the side of the apron and kind of just hanging there. Um, He was holding the noose with his hands but it was still like a fixed noose around his neck. Just really,
0: really brutal. Um, And then Gangrel becomes a member.
1: Hang on, hang on, hang on. We'll get there. We'll
0: get there. One time my girlfriend walked in while I was watching a Gangrel match and she asked me if that was Cody Rose's dad.
1: Yeah, brilliant. Absolutely not. (laughs) So so later in the... So later in the night, we get the Acolytes versus Road Dogg and Al Snow. There's Road Dogg, by the way, who's kind of weaving in and out of this ministry thing. It's a hardcore match. Again, it's not even a a match. It's just a fight, ton of brawling, whatever. Anyway, some uh, druids come in to help put Road Dogg through a table. Lights go up, down and up and whatever. And then the uh, druids take off their hoods and it's the brood. 20 minutes after being hanged, <laughs> 20 minutes later, they have become fully-fledged members of the Ministry of Darkness. Like, that is just the most ridiculously quick turnaround, no?
0: This seems to be a running theme, though, because every time the uh, the Undertaker literally hangs someone, they become his
1: mate. It's, it was just ludicrous to me that... I mean, there was no sacrifice or christening or rebirth. Didn't, it was like they tried to murder him, and now it's like, yeah, you're cool. We'll run with you.
0: Did they even explain that? No, no. Um, so gang they didn't say, like, was brainwashed or?
1: No, they, they didn't say nothing. They just they were like, oh, my God, it's kill- the brood. The brood are in the ministry now.
0: I guess it's like that old wolf pack thing where the the wolf challenges the other wolf. The wolf nearly dies and then spe- swears allegiance to the main wolf, the alpha wolf.
1: Yeah, I well, yeah, sure. I mean, but it's still like having like at least a week between those two segments would have made it feel somewhat believable.
0: Well, you know what? Just don't do it. There was only one reason that the brood were in the ministry in the first place, and it's because the main guy pretended to be a sleazy vampire.
1: I mean, it it was a natural fit; it kind of works.
0: Yeah, kind of though. Like I feel like because they they split gangrel and on the, the Edge and Christian up really early. Anyway, I think they should have just pulled the plug a long time before. Had Edge and Christian. In the tag division and just put gangrel on the brood because then you've got a really creepy looking lot of blokes. Yeah, Edge and Christian didn't fit in here at no, all. No, they Edge did not fit like at all. the 20 something nice Canadian boy that he was. If you had gangrel next to the next to Viscera behind Taker, I think that's quite an image.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, they're both got long blonde hair and they wear these tunics like gay vampires.
0: That was caught What they even they even did the whole um, prancing vampire from Twilight thing when they came down like ballerinas. Yeah. At WrestleMania. But.
1: So, yeah. Um, just to keep you updated, Kane is now feuding with Triple H as part of the Corporation against DX. Um, later on, Triple H turns his back on DX. Anyway, so the next week we're on Raw 13th of February. Which is in Canada in front of forty-three thousand people. Just an episode of Raw. Nothing special. Not sure why that's a thing. Anyway, the Godfather. i to
0: God- pretend I watched this week.
1: Godfather is, is against Viscera. Um, this is the first time we see Viscera's cool blue ice icy eyes uh midian is actually on commentary and this is the first time we see his
0: eyes- is on commentary.
1: yeah and this is the first time we see his eyeball in a jar and he's saying that it was a present from undertaker oh um so that he that midian can like see uh through the darkness or whatever um and this is also the first time that it's hyped to us that undertaker is going up against the boss man um so it's, I mean, in the matches, we haven't really seen it, but basically... Kind that's of... not
0: true, that's not true. Is it not? Undertaker, there's, oh, you're, you're, you're meaning, like, Undertaker's gunning for Bossman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not the Mania match.
1: Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. They're going to come after Bossman because he is Vince's, like, right-hand man, head of security.
0: See, I just watched, uh, I skipped all this stuff. I, it doesn't sound like I fucking missed anything. and I watched the match at Valentine's Day Massacre and Midian just turns up with an eyeball and all I've written is you can fucking blame fucking Marilyn Manson's popularity for fucking this.
1: (laughs) No, he is sound commentary and he does explain his eyeball. Um, Not until...
0: So it was just a present. just (laughs) 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 To to take as like, oh, here, have one of my victims... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay.
1: yeah pretty much there's not much <laughs> to put on top of that Midian uh, had his
0: own merch man this was the day when Mid- this was the time and era where you could be Midian and have your own t-shirt cool because everything sold <laughs> well give or take
1: anyway so we're on St. Valentine's Day Massacre Undertaker is in this big like sports huddle there's like nine of them now round a fire oh, by the oil drum yeah where uh, the
0: hobos live. Yep.
1: Yeah, and some of the
0: locations they picked out for the ministry were amazing.
1: And Undertaker says their purpose in life starts tonight. Big Boss Man versus the Midian. Oh, that's what I meant a minute ago. Midian was hyping up his own match against Boss Man. Yeah. Uh yeah. The Corporation's head of um security versus the Ministry of Darkness first brother. That's 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 what it was billed as. Uh, it was a really shit match. We don't need to talk about it.
0: Well, there was some, uh, there was some nice, nice hard shots from Bossman in this. Just to be an optimist,
1: the crowd were literally chanting "boring." I mean, that's the first time I've ever heard a boring chant in the. 90- I'm pretty sure I
0: heard boring chants in every. Ministry match on pay per view that didn't include the under uh because, stone Cold Steve Austin
1: because it was always just up brawls, there was no actual real wrestling. And I know there was a lot even, of brawling in the 90s, but
0: even what? Taker's pay per view matches had boring chants in them
1: because he, he, he same problem, man. It, it was just punches and kicks and throwing each other into the barrier and the steel steps. There was not a single suplex or drop toe hold or hip toss, nothing.
0: If you're having Midian against Boss man, on pay per view. I feel like the Undertaker needs more promo time, and so do the Ministry people. It's clear that obviously you told me they tried at least for a week because they had Midian on commentary. But Cole actually says halfway through, he asks Lawler what he thinks Taker is telling these guys to to do as and why they've like just strangely come under his power and under his wing, and they play it off obviously as. Um, Taker being like a Manson type but that was never come into like you're telling me a week before two weeks before uh, Gangrel gets hung and then becomes a a friend and a follower of Taker they never actually explained why these guys um, became part of Taker's crew the only thing I can think of really is is that every time somebody got sacrificed, they privately had a Midian ceremony. <laughs> and, and that's why they became part of the ministry, because they don't tell me anything else. I assume
1: that's what happened to Viscera. They put him in the hearse, and then they just had their own private sacrifice christening thing off TV. No, I, th- I don't think this is a ministry problem. I think just all of, all of Raw... Uh, it's just crash TV. They're just throwing so much shit at the wall, and they don't explain anything. And then next week, you can kind of, they kind of just forgotten about. It's very schizophrenic. Yeah,
0: well, I learned about beaver cleavage uh, this week, so I agree with you.
1: Another massive problem is how they were announcing matches for pay per views. I guess at the time, like, um, wrestling was so popular and they had such a following that people were just buying pay per views anyway. But they were announcing matches like. Sometimes they were announcing matches on heat half an hour before the pay-per-view starts. And other times yeah. they were announcing well the boss man take a match was announced I think like 2 weeks before Mania and it was a hell of a sell match.
0: And yet sometimes the script writing is impeccable and just something that you wish happened in today's wrestling. Yeah. Sometimes it's the complete opposite. Mm. Like the, the and I know it's a lot of it's by accident. Um, you know just starting from Austin and finishing with Austin all the little fine touches that they did with the Stephanie storyline leading into when they finally realized who the higher power was there's so much subtlety going on at the same time as Car Crash TV in which they can't even think about the basics of certain characters it really shows me um, writing, writing well for the big guys, and then just throwing everybody else just out there to be fed to the wolves sort that, of thing.
1: That's exactly what it is. All all the focus on their marketing and and story writing is on like the top four or five guys. And the rest of it is all just a shambles.
0: Which you can't really blame them for.
1: No, not at all. But this is it, right? So the roar after St. Valentine's Day Massacre. This is the real meat, potatoes and gravy of the Ministry of Darkness. This is where Christ, it starts. I hope I watched it. <laughs> uh, so the entire Ministry of Darkness come out Paul Bearer's got a fancy new um, hairstyle, he's dyed it jet black, looks cool uh, they come out and they've, they're calling out Vince now and Undertaker says that he owns, he has the key to the heart and the and soul of Vince McMahon. And they're going to take down and destroy the entire corporation. And Undertaker will eventually own the WWF. Not sure why he, he, that's a goal of his. Uh, big Boss Man comes out, uh, starts just attacking them with his nightstick. It sets up a six-man tag uh, later on in the show, which is Boss Man Test, Shamrock, Acolytes, and Midian. This is the first time Vince McMahon is actually properly scared of the Ministry of Darkness. Him and the Stooges, which we haven't actually mentioned yet, uh, are backstage and they're worried about what they're going to do.
0: This was the week before the teddy bear, right?
1: Um, Yes, possibly. Um, What actually happens is after the six-man tag match, they kidnap Shane. They put Shane to his knees and they give him... Um, uh, an envelope and it's not
0: oh this episode yeah. I saw facts of it on the next episode
1: so I thought that was good enough <laughs> fair enough um, <laughs> so I mean we don't know what's in the envelope but I think like they've implied well enough that we all get grasp the idea of what's in this envelope, right?
0: Yeah, and it's heinous, it's awful, it's horrible. And I can't believe that Vince McMahon's daughter is Stephanie McMahon. But yeah, whatever.
1: Yeah, I was, yeah, we'll get to it. Yeah, so the next uh on heat next week, uh we're on the 21st of February now. He drags Kane, Vince McMahon drags Kane to the ring with him. I remember, Kane is in the corporation now. Um, and he says that he's read the envelope and he looks stern into the camera and tells Taker to back off that this isn't business anymore and that he's gone too far and he sets up an Inferno match with Kane on the next night on Raw. This is what you were talking about. This is then with the teddy bear. Uh, But also on this Raw, Public Enemy make their big debut against the Brood and they get drouched in blood this ends up mentioned that? well this ends up being like a three month feud for the Bro- like you were saying that like the brood don't feel like they're in the ministry because they've they have a feud of public enemy for about three months it's got nothing to do with undertaker
0: i just thought it was really weird to even see the pu- public enemy on wwe programming i had no idea they had a run there
1: well i, I don't think it lasts very long outside of the brood um no. Yeah, so Vince tell, tells Kane that he has to go out and, uh, without not in so many words, but he basically tells Kane that he wants him to murder his own brother in fire.
0: Kane seems like a pretty focal point of the corporation at this part. At this point,
1: yeah, he's used quite a lot, and um, but he's a baby face. He's not a heel. Keeps being threatened to go back to the asylum if he doesn't do Vince's bidding. So he's forced to do these things that he doesn't want to do.
0: It feels like they were recycling the same stories around the same characters because they knew it popped ratings, which is why you never get rid of Austin during the Vince bit. You never get rid of Kane while takers lurking. And you always have these, what, what we refer to now as the glory days of slow building feuds and feuds that lasted forever were probably actually back then pretty annoying because they had, like Undertaker and Kane have, had been against each other since um, late 1997 uh, when, when Kane debuted in the Hell of a Cell at the In Your House pay-per-view. I think that was like August, September 97. And they feuded through that, through the whole of uh, pretty much 1998 until the very point where which you started with where Taker starts the whole ministry thing. But you still can't get rid of Kane because now he's part of the corporation and is uh, Vince's lackey to go save Kane, go save Austin or face Kane, uh, take her when Vince wants him to be saved. It's just sort of repetition ad, ad nauseum because they know that that's what people wanted to see. But I, I don't think necessarily all people wanted to see that at that point. That's a two year feud. Imagine Randy Orton and McIntyre having a two-year feud, even with great characters. I feel like that's a a little bit of oversaturation.
1: Well, look at John Cena and Randy Orton, how bored for almost two years as well that they were having the main event match on almost every pay-per-view. We got sick of it. Uh, No, I agree with you. Um, The difference might be that the roster was a lot smaller back then. So, I mean, every six months, I guess everyone would have gone against each other. There was a revolving door of mid-carders coming in and out, I guess because of like WCW and ECW, but at the top the main event players were the same for a very long time. Which
0: makes it another interesting point which I thought about. At this point WCW has a massive roster. It has Nitro, it has Thunder, it has so many different guys, it has a job show and it feels like WWF won the war because WWF had characters that people were more into because wwf had a smaller roster now wwe have the biggest roster in the world to the point where you won't you won't see a two-week turnover of like 50 to 60 guys another 30 guys are being sat sat at home to do nothing do you think this is going
1: wrong yeah definitely because the Steve Austin is loved so much for his character because he is all over the show. Um, and I mean, that's not the only reason. I mean, I, the main reason he's loved is because he's sticking it to the man and that's kind of what was going on in culture in the 90s anyway. So he, he molded perfectly. But they they used him perfectly. And something we've not mentioned yet, but I did not want to say it, is that Steve Austin's music was always the last thing on Raw. Almost every single episode of Raw would close with Austin's music playing. Yeah, you made he that was,
0: it was a very interesting point that you made that I haven't picked up before.
1: He it's like he it felt like he was the winner every single week. It's, he always felt on top. Um uh, but the rock had so many promos and Mankind, uh, I guess
0: Triple it, H, Road Dog. They, yeah. Everybody was everywhere.
1: Yeah, and and there was there was so much dynamic character building and then like we mentioned earlier like the relationships of those people coming together whereas now you see ricochet once a month and you just can't get on board with him because we don't know what he's about we don't know what his like like why he's fighting why we care that he's gonna win or lose
0: i feel like we are almost also a fickle audience though because I, I don't know, looking back here, when I if I was watching Raw religiously every week, I feel like I'd get pretty annoyed with the fact that Val, Venus, and Godfather are on my TV week in, week out, regardless. They're on every Raw, they're on every show. They're pushed down your throat. Mm-hmm. And in 1999, people loved them like <laughs> because they got the reactions and therefore they were on the show every week it baffles my brain now because two points like everybody says Roman Reigns is being shoved down their throats well no he's just booked in the main event and people they're trying to make you um, connect with him by by throwing him continually at you But just imagine to me like it's crazy to me for Dolph Ziggler to be prominently displayed every single week on Raw without fail, and always have a storyline, and always be doing something instead of just being on random matches occasionally.
1: The difference is though that the Godfather was crazy over every time he comes out. There's a massive pop.
0: Oh, I I could not believe how over Val Venus was. I, I yeah. still
1: don't get it. Same thing. So I think. Really, a better comparison would be someone like Keith Lee. Uh, literally, everyone loves Keith Lee. So, if they rammed him down your throat and he was there week in and week out, we would probably all be into it, at least for a little while. Maybe it'd get. Like, that's what you're getting, though. That's what you're about to get. Possibly. So, we're on this Inferno match. This is actually the first time we've seen Undertaker in a match since the Buried Alive match in December.
0: Yeah, well, he got a he got a hip replacement, which is, I I feel, the main reason as to why uh, Midian got a job, honestly.
1: Yeah. Um, so Vince is on commentary, which will become apparent for why in a minute. It's an Inferno match. I mean, I, I think most people know exactly what an Inferno match is. It's not a great wrestling match, but every time they do a suplex, the, the fire roars up higher and the crowd goes crazy. It's quite a spectacle, but not a great Something record. I
0: have to say for this one over the first one is that they, they seem to be a little bit more dangerous. The Undertaker's hair was continually near that fire for the entire show.
1: I was amazed how many times they threw each other into the ropes.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, Undertaker did an old school. Yeah. That's, that's terrifying. That's good. That's balls.
1: I wondered if the fire was um, placed... In a different place because it seemed like they were much closer to it than that first one. What,
0: I, I don't feel like in the first one, Kane did a flying bump out of the ring. Like that's that's pretty crazy stuff.
1: Or maybe they just both felt that the first one sucked so much. This time they had to uh, they had to go that extra level with it.
0: Nobody's even paying attention because the v- Vince is crying about a bear.
1: Yeah. So. <laughs> So Vince has a teddy bear, uh, and then after the match, Kane's boot gets caught on fire, and then uh, nobody really helps him because everyone's concerned about what Vince is doing. He's kind of just rolling around. And then Undertaker sets the teddy bear on fire. Vince falls to his knees crying and sobbing. Uh, I'm completely distracted because Michael Cole is just yelling, what does this mean? What does this mean? (laughs) <laughs> so I shut the fuck up Greg. and uh, so the teddy bear gets thrown up the, uh, the ramp and uh, nobody puts that out either so it's just left to burn then we have next week Vince opens the show and he is pissed off that he cried on national TV and that he promises to never do that again that's the level of toxic masculinity we're living with <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's very apparent though Mm -hmm. Uh, Just just like him showing uh, American football star Rob Gronkowski how to fool properly and then like doing gun points where as soon as he jumps down as a a 76-year-old man, that man will will never lose face publicly or privately. It's where the lines blur between the character and the person.
1: I think the character was the person. I don't think there is much of a line to blur.
0: I feel like that's just something that they like to say
1: about Vince. Mm. Oh, it's just a character. Yeah, but it's not. Um, so Vince has the orderlies come out to take Kane away because he failed him last week. China, who kind of fell in love with Kane a couple of weeks back, comes out <laughs> comes out and helps Kane beat up the orderlies. And she tells Vince that um he she can control Kane and Vince can't control Kane, put him in a match with Austin tonight, and if they win, they can both stay. And if they lose, both Kane and China are fired.
0: Uh, I have no notes for this show. It seemed like a a real sort of run of the show. Actually, the only notes I've got of this week is that Kurgan from the Oddities got beat by The Undertaker with a chokeslam and a pin, a pin with a foot in about 10 seconds. Oh, yeah,
1: that was on Heat, yeah. Uh but on on this raw, it's Kane versus Mankind. Vince comes out on commentary again, and this is where he announces the hell in a cell match, Kane versus uh, right, Yeah. So he comes on the commentary booth and Michael Cole and King are saying, What's with the teddy bear? What's going on? And he's like, Ah, I'll tell you about that in a second. But first I just came out here to say Taker and Boss Man are having a hell in a cell match at WrestleMania. But let's talk about the teddy bear. Like that's how much it was just thrown out there.
0: Yeah, and this is like two, three weeks removed, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I think it's like two weeks to go.
0: Which is just crazy to me.
1: Uh, So Undertaker cheap shots Vince and tries to put him through a table. Bossman comes out to make the save. Um, I feel like that should have happened before they announced they were having a match together. Uh, Bossman's
0: forever late for everything, though. The next week (laughs) on Raw, he turns up to Raw an hour and ten minutes into the show, which is always one of my favourite wrestling things. Like, why do like guys turn up whenever they want? Bossman had a taxi halfway through the show being live on air. If you like, if he runs late to roar a few times, does like HR get involved? What happens? This is like a a late matrix. Even Bossman's not exactly the main event. He didn't turn up in a Rolls Royce like Flair. He doesn't just turn up whenever he wants. It looked like he was in a hurry. Like he got he got out of a taxi.
1: Yeah, Bossman's kind of like on that level on the card where you got to turn up on time. <laughs> um, but stone cold is even worse there's so many times definitely on a heat he'll literally turn up five minutes before the show goes off air he, he i kinda is-
0: get that though you know like austin like i used to turn up at my first pub job like 20 minutes late and say and what i was super anti-authority
1: austin doesn't turn up five minutes late though he turns up to do his promo at the end of the show and then leaves like And this is the face of the company. Anyway. (laughs) uh, Also on this show, we've got Public Enemy versus the Acolytes. Again, just ends up in a crazy brawl. Big Boss Man is in a match and the Acolytes run down and just murder the Big Boss Man.
0: Boss Man looks like a tool throughout this whole build.
1: Uh, Again, toxic masculinity. He just comes out and beats the shit out of everyone with a nightstick. And then there's no sympathy when everyone just lays into him back.
0: I've never seen anybody, I, Ben. I haven't seen many hangings on TV, but I feel like if I did, there would be more sympathy and empathy in the crowd than what I witnessed well, people sitting in their hands and going to the refreshment stalls at WrestleMania 14.
1: Here's the thing. Here's the thing. And I think this is the problem for the most of the ministries run it's always heel versus heel. I think the ministry would have got far more over if they were beating up faces beating up people we cared about um like beat the shit out of DM x pack who's a tiny guy imagine if they hung him instead
0: that's a really interesting point to make especially given when we're currently recording this at the heels of um the main event of wwe payback 2020 which was heel fiend versus Hill, born Strowman versus Hill, roman reigns
1: yeah people will say like oh that that doesn't exist anymore but it just does it's not just wrestling it's it's movies literature everything it's always the the superhero versus the villain and you always want to like support the superhero and you have the darkest hour moment where the villain is about to win and you want to see the hero come back and wrestling just needs to live in that type of story making
0: i think they were very very confused at this point with the rise of austin because i don't know about you but i can't really think of that many main event baby faces there were main event anti-heroes and there were main event villains everybody was shades of gray because this was the point in our in our sort of just general popular culture where the coolest people were the anti-hero as opposed to the hero. And that happened again, 10 years later when we started, James Bond got serious and the Bourne movies came out. The Dark Knight got gritty. Um, It seems to be a revolving part of our culture. I don't think it's, I don't feel like it's a massive part of our culture right now because uh, we like it. I feel like it's what, over the past 20 years, we felt like we needed. I don't feel like we can believe in the face anymore. We can't go for the the good guy with the cheesy grin anymore. And I feel like at this point, wrestling is always 20 plus years behind, right? Or at least 10. The mullets had just gone out of fashion. And they'd, they'd realized that the anti-hero was the new thing. So they were so sort of... Adamantly refusing to have a top face because they knew the top face would look corny as shit uh, next to Austin and The Rock and guys that were as cool as that. Yeah. Uh, um, and I, I just, I guess that's why they were having this sort of identity crisis at this point where heels were facing heels because if all the anti heroes were people that wanted to cheer. So they were all involved with each other like you had rock Austin and looking at this build to boss man was quite to be fair to to the writing team who the fuck are you supposed to partake with like I I I can not even really think like uh, Austin's facing the rock Kane had been done the mania before McMahon's tied up in other stuff big shows just come in Mankind just seems to be doing like a mid card. Well,
1: well, that's what I was going to say is that at this point, the only pure babyface is Mankind. And Mankind and Undertaker had been done to death by this point.
0: You've really got no one for him to go go I mean, against.
1: Could have gone against DX, but like you just pointed out, DX were also kind of anti hero.
0: Well, I can't. I, I mentioned to you a couple of weeks ago, they were pushing the shit out of Road Dog. At this point, he was on every show, he was winning championships. It sort of distanced himself a little bit from Billy Gunn at the time. I can't help but feel like he was their little pet project for a month or two, and they were trying to build him up as a, a cool, non anti hero face to get some of these guys some work, some of these villain bad guys some work, but it just didn't pan
1: out. And, uh, and X Pack, X Pack, although he always wore the green and black colors, he kind of I mean, DX kind of melted away at this point. Um, all the guys went in different directions. Triple H, China, were involved with Kane and the corporation. And the other three kind of just went and did their own thing.
0: This was the year that Billy Gunn won the King of the Ring. Yeah. So they were really trying, trying these guys out and seeing whether they could make any of them single stars. So and X- it just ended up being Triple H.
1: So X-Pac ends up getting into the team with Kane in a couple of months' time. But he definitely... Kind of has this pure baby face vibe about him.
0: Definitely, yeah. what he always has done, really, throughout his entire career.
1: Anyway, so this Raw, um, boss. What, what week we on? We are on March 8th, 1999. Yeah. So on this Raw, um, t- towards the end, boss man gets put onto the Undertaker crucifix and lifted high above the stage.
0: This was uh, stupid.
1: You don't like it now?
0: Oh, well, no. I loved the Austin one, and some of the others were okay. But just, you, you set it up. You set it up. You've made it look really cool. The last person on it was Austin, who did not get down. You then got Bossman almost immediately jumping off because obviously mm. fucking Midian can't put a wire on a, on a hand properly, and running away it's just it's just so lame and the the crowd gets arrested
1: and the crowds just don't respond to it at all again i think the problem is hill versus hill like the the audience don't care that boss man managed to get away from the villains
0: this is another thing and it like i was going to mention this when vince mcmahon mentioned some comedy but this whole month is kind of a blur at this point it's not quite Storyline in my head for me, like week by week. McMahon almost never, like, we've already talked about the issue that they had with a lack of opponents for Taker, but it's the same, also the same issue when you never see Taker really having a, a long promo with Viscera or Midian, which is why those kind of felt um, second stream. McMahon never talks to Boss Man, Boss Man never talks. To McMahon. They share the same ring occasionally. Apparently, he's the corporation enforcer. I don't know whether I missed the storyline at some point, but it just like Boss Man feels like Hired Heavy. It feels like he doesn't care about McMahon. McMahon doesn't care about him. So, in turn, why should the audience care about The Undertaker going after the Boss Man?
1: You are 100% right. Like, bo- Boss Man is just the Hired Heavy, which. The build to WrestleMania is rubbish, but later on when we get into the story with Ken Shamrock, that actually plays like a a subtly really nice role that Ken Shamrock actually has a relationship with Vince, which Bossman didn't. Um, There's a few skits every now and then with Bossman and the Stooges where they're talking about how they're going to get Vince out of the building and then get him into the limo and stuff, but no in-ring promo, no massive kind of relationship-building moment.
0: Nothing. At this during this era? Did you see? As a little side note, tests merchandise. Test tests T-shirt.
1: No, guns don't kill people.
0: I kill people.
1: Oh my god!
0: <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> that was thick on the on the mat, like massive on the back of his shirt, uh, which was obviously also sold for merchandise.
1: I just, I just feel like this entire product if you showed it to anyone right now anyone that's like a protester or just you know any it's of even
0: like a normal human being at this point i think
1: it's just it's just a a walking example of what shit you can't do and say in the real world <laughs>
0: yeah. but i mean again though some of it's like bizarre
1: uh, so, like you mentioned, Undertaker gets arrested at this episode of Raw. There's a really small moment which I don't know if you caught, but as he's getting pulled away, like kind of through the crowd, Paul Bearer makes a phone call, and the announcers even say, "Who the hell is Bo- uh, Paul Bearer phoning?" Did this,
0: mention that? Yeah. This was
1: never played yeah. ever again. Whatever, no. whatever that was going to be, it was completely dropped.
0: Well, but, I'm pretty. sure sh- I'm pretty sure that this was still before um, Vince was the higher power. Yeah. So I assume that he was phoning the higher power to get Taker out, out of prison because that's how that's how far up the higher power was, man. He controlled the policeman.
1: Yeah, I assume too that's what that was meant to be. But no, instead, uh, Taker gets put into the back of a police car and Vince is literally in his face screaming at him that he's going to rot in jail and that this personal vendetta has to end.
0: Oh, it was great. The whole McMahon family throughout this whole ministry period were, were fantastic. I thought Shane, especially Stephanie with her facial expressions, maniacal McMahon. I just, I loved everything about so much of these people, um, that you could tell that the Mac the
1: McMahon family is talented. Shane definitely comes into his own, uh, in a bit after WrestleMania. Yeah. So, heat march 14th uh undertaker is announced as being in the film poltergeist the legacy what yeah which i think kind of (laughs) undermines the fact that he just got arrested five days ago what
0: undertaker turned up in poltergeist 4
1: yeah i think that's yeah they just announced that that on Heat. well that's amazing that's what they said on
0: heat (laughs) let me think now i've seen i've seen poltergeist one Poltergeist two was Poltergeist two, and then Poltergeist three was awful. Oh, Poltergeist the Legacy is apparently it's a, uh, a television show.
1: It's a TV show, so he must have made a cameo. Uh, I mean, it's got eighty-eight episodes, so I'm not going to find out which one.
0: <laughs> I wonder if he uh, made any sacrifices on
1: set. I wonder if there's crucifix turned up.
0: I wouldn't hire a guy with that with that sort of psychological imbalance, especially when people are calling him Mark and saying he's gone too far with his gimmick.
1: Yeah, but I I just thought it was crazy that they said that when te- like they they haven't said anything about him getting out of prison or what was up with the prison. Instead, they were just like, "Yeah, this guy's in a, in a film." Well, they didn't even say it was a it was a TV show. <laughs> I assumed it was a movie. Well, <laughs> thank you very much for that piece of trivia. I like that. Anyway, um. 15th of March, Raw, uh, Vince is on the phone with a police chief and he explains that Undertaker is at his home and the ministry are going to... I've completely missed a th- thing setting that up, haven't
0: I? Raw had a, a, had a great advert break hooks at this point. Taker, you see the Taker sign outside a house and then a couple of advert breaks later, you see Taker with the ministry uh, creeping up to this sort of... It was pretty weird, actually, because it was taken in a robe basically outside a Fresh Prince of Bel-Air house. Yeah. And it, you had an in sunglasses like standing on a on a bush <laughs> and a big, big vis sort of uh, trunching his way. It, just, it looked really cool. Uh, the, the thing that I really liked with this This is what I was saying earlier about some of the subtleties that they they threw in at this time, which are so alien to a a 2020 wrestling audience. Vince phones the sheriff to help because he sees the ministry outside his house. And the sheriff refuses to help Vince because he says it's a publicity stunt. Because he's watching right now him on tv which is both really funny and great logical yeah. script writing
1: uh, vince's acting throughout this night of roy is absolutely fantastic like he's
0: great this he's is, great throughout and man. this oh, is
1: the start yeah. of a face of a uh, vince face turn which was really confusing me that this was happening but vince was really scared about his uh wife and his daughter being home alone and that they were about to be attacked or abducted by the ministry. And Shane was, this was the start of Shane becoming like the asshole that he's about to become. He tells Vince to like, like get his shit together and snap out of it. And that he's going to, he's going to call up his homies to go over to to their house. I just, I, I wondered if Vince ever took acting lessons or whether he had just, just naturally slotted into this character
0: i think he naturally slotted into the character i I think he's got carnival in his blood but his acting is
1: really it's like his delivery on some of the lines is really great oh
0: yeah but he goes full on maniac as well vince mcmahon beats the shit out of midian and attempts to run him over and then just runs down a hallway just screaming you, that son of a bitch! That son of a bitch! It was so good. I don't. Know, that's a that's a forgotten piece of little footage that I wish would uh, turn up on YouTube or something, so I could watch it over and over again.
1: Uh, was that on this episode of Pro as well? Because
0: no, that was a couple couple months okay. late
1: or like a month later. So the, I think. So the main event of this Pro is Midian versus Big Boss Man, and the commentators even say like the rest of the um, uh, Ministry of Darkness are at Vince's house. So Midian is here alone. Um, and as such, with that information, within five minutes, the door opens of the cage and the corporation jump in and they all just beat the living hell out of Midian. Like Midian takes a proper beating here. I
0: liked that though. Again, it made sense.
1: Yeah. And uh, so Vince gets on the mic and he cuts a promo that, um, Vidian, uh, Midian will never be seen again. And it'll be destroyed unless Taker leaves his home. Undertaker comes on the big screen outside Vince's house. Uh, and like you said, like the now is when we first see them kind of approach the house. And a car pulls up, which we're meant to think is um, Linda and Stephanie. Um, and then later on, Vince is on the phone again with the cops to get their guns out. And then the cops say that there's no one here. They can't see anything. And then the show closes on the Undertaker's crucifix on fire in Vince's front yard. So I don't know how the cops missed that when they were checking the house.
0: Dude, they're paid off by the higher power now. Oh, man. yeah,
1: I forgot. Yes. The
0: higher power runs the local sheriff office. Uh,
1: but as a closing image, just seeing the crucifix on fire and knowing that that's Vince, well, it probably isn't Vince's house, but
0: well, no, Wait, wasn't this the also the show where Taker plays Kane and unmasks
1: Take take a what?
0: Did you miss this? So I can't remember what it. I can't remember why or what it was, but Kane comes down the ring or something. No, Kane's in a match. Kane's in a match with somebody, and Vince comes down and says, "Kane, Kane, you got to help me. You got to help me." The the ministry are at my house, and Kane's ignoring him. Um. Beats the shit out of some guy that's in the ring with him, and Vince keeps bothering Kane. He says, "Look at me, you son of a bitch!" You know, um, and Kane takes his mask off, and it's The Undertaker. And uh, The Undertaker choke slams McMahon, and says something along the lines of, "I can be wherever I want or do whatever I want at any time." To state that he had he didn't abduct Stephanie or the Ministry. It was just a, a massive uh, plan to show McMahon that he's completely in control and he can be wherever he needs to be.
1: I completely missed that. So that, so that was that was the whole build-up. Yeah, that of was the, a complete crescendo of the whole story of the night.
0: Yeah. But no, I, I really don't blame you for missing it. The the thing with the ministry is pretty crazy because it just turns up everywhere all the time. I guess this was just one of the few rows where I actually watched it through and saw saw the end of that but that yeah that was the whole conclusion uh, okay. of it
1: Cause I, that makes a lot more sense because what i thought was the conclusion and uh, at one point when like taker and vince are on the phone together uh, taker says um i know what time she comes home and i'll be here to greet her and maybe i'll be the father figure that she doesn't have or maybe i'll just torture her
0: yeah, this is when shit starts getting really
1: yeah, creepy. Yeah, it's that's the start of it, and um, there's a few lines of dialogue in a few weeks' time that's even worse. But uh, that's after Mania.
0: The, uh, to be fair, a lot some of the absolute worst stuff I heard, and some of the sort of references to things that don't have any place in entertainment were actually mentioned by Vince McMahon himself about
1: concerning his daughter mm-hmm. in in the heat just before. Mania. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Some of the dialogue gets really messed up, like, and just hard to watch. It's like, I'm watching this for entertainment, not for, like.
0: Yeah, I've got to say, to be, to be fair, I've watched some of this on my phone. A lot of it's not really, like, couple evening entertainment.
1: <laughs> <honestly>. <laughs> okay. So, uh, the week after is the go home show for Mania. And this is when The Rock starts turning on the corporation. He's slowly turning face now. Uh, big show at this point is here. Those two are going to have beef. Um, what, are, what are our boys? Oh, yeah.
0: I'm lost in like a sea of muddy roars uh, at this point. Blue I don't Me- know what-
1: <laughs> Just for shits and giggles, Bl- Blue Meanie turns up. Just going to add that. <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> Jeff, uh, Jarrett the Jeff-, Jeff, Jarrett- Jeff Jarrett and Owen Harvest, the brood again. Yeah,
1: and they get covered in blood for all oh, fun. I actually like, really things. dug
0: that bloodbath
1: thing. Yeah, it was it was a cool spot, but it was a shame that they were overshadowed by the ministry because they weren't their own thing.
0: Well, the, the brute, the the ministry had nothing to do with the bloodbath thing. They were doing that before the ministry came no, I in. Know. I know. Just no, but it just makes no sense, does it? That like, I just feel like if you're a group, you need to have consistency. It's like it's like branding, you know. If if you're gonna start a company. All, and you get five locations your five locations need to have similarities they can't be completely different restaurants if you've got five guys in a group they need to have a solidarity of if not aesthetic then at the very least a, a meaning or what they represent or what they do which was just not apparent in the ministry whatsoever
1: just just stop trying to make sense of it sorry just that's you can't it's not happening don't worry about it.
0: Well, you're talking about making sense of it. The, the, the ministry face the corporation. They mm. brawl again, visceral with his fake punches again. The lights go out for an advert break. Yeah. And they come back and break and there's no ministry or corporation.
1: <laughs> yeah, this is how they ended a match. Well, I I got that too. Like, what the fuck?
0: Like The, the advert breaks in America live because they have so many advert breaks are about two minutes Mm -hmm. so live in live action 10 dudes face each other and then just had about enough time to quietly walk to the back before val venus came out again
1: yep yep (laughs) it was so bad and made no sense and that was the go home show of raw that was that was the last moment in this story before wrestlemania
0: I think this is this is the one where on commentary they actually mention that the, the basically Vince McMahon would be here but he's busy dealing with The Rock and Steve Austin. Yep. So just just let me know even more that nobody cares about this match and nobody cares about Taker at Mania. Yep. Like Taker literally uh uh kid tried hinted at abducting Vince's water he's facing vince mcmahon's group vince mcmahon can't turn up to this brawl because he's got stuff to do with another set of guys this
1: is the problem i was saying about how undertaker is just a, a, a chess piece um vince is still just so concerned about austin even though his daughter is her life is being threatened um, anyway <laughs> So we're on to the uh, heat, the 28th of March, which is an hour before WrestleMania, and on this show, uh, Boss Man gets the bloodbath treatment from the Brute. Which yeah, I'm really poor. Ray
0: Taylor had a had a pretty bad night uh, on the night of WrestleMania 14. Well, I'm
1: also very impressed that Boss Man managed to shower up before his big WrestleMania match. (laughs) Bloodbath. So. This is where we're going to end part one of the ministry. We're going to talk about the Hell in a Cell match, Undertaker versus Big Boss Man at WrestleMania. I, you've talked about it before, how you think like this is this is ridiculous, right? But yeah. what, watching it in the moment, living the story, what do you, do you think that it was a good spot or a bad spot? That after the match. Um, the brood come down and they lower a noose into the cage. Undertaker wraps it around Boss Man's neck. And as the hell and the cell gets lifted, Boss Man gets hung.
0: Um, honestly, maybe it, it didn't make me feel as uncomfortable as that segment of heat with Vince McMahon sitting down with stephanie mcmahon out of everything we watched for this podcast i feel like that made me feel incredibly uncomfortable and i did not enjoy watching it but i just thought thought this this was in it doesn't matter what undertaker's doing like the gangrel thing looking back at the gangrel hanging thing um i feel like gangrel turned the same night because they realized they had gone too far but even that was like a group beat, like it went too far, sure. But this was hanging a man from rafters. Like, as gruesome and as horrible as the Gangrel thing was, this was an actual lynching. And I, I don't, especially given the history of lynching, I just don't want to watch lynching on any form of entertainment where it isn't about a serious issue. And I just, I just thought that it was out of character, even for Attitude Era WWF, and it, I can't think of anything similar to it, because even Snitsky punted a baby into the crowd as as a joke. Like, there's only so much of a joke you can make. An actual lynching, and I, I just it, it it went off the I like as a wrestling fan, dude. Like, I've seen a lot of bad shit. I've seen a lot of sleazy stuff. I've seen a lot of on the knuckle stuff this just went a little bit too far for me in terms of allowing fantasy and reality to intertwine for an hour and a half. It
1: was, it was very unnecessary. I think like it was violence taken too far. And it didn't even feel like it
0: happened for a visual. It felt like it happened because they went into this match knowing that first of all, they would never be able to compete with, mankind undertaker the first the last hell in a cell match and second of all they knew that big boss man and undertaker was not at the top of anybody's lists for this wrestlemania and nobody cared about it everyone was bored for this match
1: that's that i think is the problem i think they knew that they had to they had to do something because undertaker was his momentum had slowed and just completely fallen off a cliff. I think since the whole teddy bear thing, like four weeks ago from this now, so I think they all knew that something big had to happen. And then the new thing with Gangrel went over so good that maybe they thought that this was gonna be just as good. Yeah, but <laughs> uh, I'm not saying just... that it is. it was. I'm just saying that I think that was their thinking
0: Oh, I know I know i I just I just thought that it was just too far for once for I can't believe that I'm actually saying that after all of the wrestling I've ever watched, but I just felt like it was too far
1: but i I do agree though that um take a hat to do something at this mania to stay relevant but oh
0: definitely desperately they de- definitely needed something extreme, and this is what they come up I with, think... and I can understand why they did it. Uh, or why they thought they needed to but it it just passed the realms of of even ta- wrestling taste it was just but i also um on a side note I, how how did they even manage this so
1: um
0: it was extremely I mean, dangerous
1: i mean special effects wise it was quite amazing because i mean i i think lots of people, wrestling fans now have seen the pictures of it looking quite fake but like when you watch it in the moment definitely reliving the story like there was a real i mean i i knew it was going to happen but there was still a real shock factor when it did happen. Like, oh shit, that's actually happening. But um, I've never even seen
0: the fake pictures. Oh, okay, <laughs> so
1: boss man is wearing like some sort of harness, like underneath his uh, bulletproof jacket, and on the noose, I think there's like a steel cable, which is like so. If you see a picture of, like from the side, you can see that his, there's like tugging on his bulletproof uh, harness upwards. So he's not actually like there's nothing. There's no um taut around his neck. He's 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 just in a harness.
0: Uh, Boskman's got that big sort of uh pouchy face as well. Like he's got big old cheeks and a big old sort of mouth area. So when he like when his noose went round
1: and his face went
0: up, it was absolutely cut. It was absolutely terrifying. Yeah, I mean, it was it,
1: special effects wise, it looked amazing. But I mean, why did you why did you have the brood do this? Mm. I feel
0: what 20 23 year old Edge <laughs> really really wants to um hang a man to death. Like, I don't, I just didn't get it. I guess they couldn't get viscera up because he's too big.
1: It would have been more fitting if the acolytes did it. And I think instead of because the brood were just um, you, what did you call it earlier? They just floated down from the rafters. Or whatever. Yeah,
0: they were like Edward from Twilight. They were sort of jumping around like fairies. So I think
1: it would have been more badass if had the broods like come out from backstage and just climbed up the steel cage and then lowered a rope down into the steel or, cage.
0: Yeah, or come through th- uh, the three sections of the crowd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that came through the crowd anyway. So,
1: but what? But, you know. but what about if? Instead of this. I mean it had shock factor and probably at the time was a big deal. But what if boss they had done what they did to Midian where they sacrificed boss man? But then again, like, is a stabbing any better than a hanging, really?
0: I don't really know what you do with it because you can't even this is taker's First match on pay per view since late 1998, so it was, it was there's was a lot riding on the line in so many different ways, as well as the Mankind match, like that him not having a great opponent, nobody being into it. They can't even have a good match because Taker's rusty, Taker's just coming back, and Bossman's at the twilight of his career. So you you, yeah. you you need gimmicks or you need athleticism to get something out of something here.
1: Yeah, the match was awful. It goes just under nine minutes. Like Taker, it's Taker, probably one.
0: Taker tries everything. Taker, you said it just goes under nine minutes. Taker was blading by like five minutes in just to try and get some sort of heat going.
1: It, it was definitely one of the worst rest, uh, Hell in the Cell matches of all time. I don't know, dude.
0: Like, I can't feel like. I don't feel like anywhere else since the, the sort of 18th century France have a crowd shouted, boring and then watched an execution. <laughs> <laughs> it's ridiculous. So I had I have absolutely no idea what, the, this is what we are talking about, where some guys are booked to the moon, and some guys are just literally thrown to the wolves.
1: Here's my problem with it. Boss man is murdered, right? Well, he is yeah. he's murdered. He's, he's just been hung. And then he turns up on yeah. TV two weeks later.
0: Not even on TV. Two weeks later, he's on heat.
1: Yeah, even when Undertaker was buried, it still took six weeks for him to turn up again.
0: Oh, sorry, dude. He's not. He's not on TV. He's. He's. What? what when was WrestleMania
1: 15? Oh, I didn't write the date down. Uh, it would have been the 28th of March.
0: Uh, if WrestleMania 14 is 20th March. Then he's on heat on the 4th of April.
1: Yeah. So two. So. Taking drugs. Oh well. Is is that the way we're gonna end? That's a terrible, terrible ending. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so that was that was um what is this? That was the ministry part one. This good shit, we'll do ministry part two next week. Very
0: excited. Bye. You sound <laughs> <laughs> Okay, all right. Alrighty.